70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hola amigos, soy Hugo Longhi de Rosario, Argentina. Hi, my name is Hugo Longhi and I'm from Rosario, Argentina. I started to listen to KBS World Radio in July 1990 and I have so many fond memories. One of the most unforgettable memories is my visit to Korea in 1996 at the invitation of KBS. It was a great opportunity for me to get to know more about the very modern country with thousands of years of tradition still intact. Of all the wonderful experiences, the visit to Panmujeom on the border of South and North Korea was very touching. As I tuned into KBS World Radio, I got to learn a lot about the country in the Far East that had been unfamiliar to me and became interested in everything that is going on over there. I hope KBS World will continue its shortwave radio transmission. I wish everyone good health and happiness and send greetings from Argentina. Thank you. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Friday the 10th of February and welcome to another edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang The Democratic Party chief Lee Jae-myung has appeared before the prosecution for a second round of questioning over his alleged role in corrupt property development projects. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Earlier this week, South Korea announced that it plans to open up its foreign exchange market to overseas firms and extend its trading hours significantly. We'll unpack the ramifications of such changes for Weekly Economy Review. And coming up for Movie Spotlight, we have reviews of a local indie drama called Next Asui and a re-release of James Cameron's Titanic. Let's begin Crow 24. The main opposition Democratic Party chief, Lee Jae-myung, slammed the prosecution for failing to find proof that he committed a breach of trust as Sungnam mayor in connection to a land development scandal. He made such comments shortly before he faced a second round of questioning by prosecutors on this case. Our KBS World Radio news editor, Kuhi Jin, joins us in the studio now to brief us on this development, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee Jin, hello. Hello, jang so today, Friday, is E's second appearance before prosecutors for questioning regarding the case after the first round of questioning on January 28th, during which he was grilled for 12 hours. Before that as well, he was also questioned by prosecutors once more over a separate case of third-party bribery related to a football club. He seemed more bullish than ever today before he entered the prosecutor's office. What did he have to say, Hijin? Well, before entering the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office for round two on Friday, he uh, claimed that the state agency has yet to find any evidence to back the allegations uh, despite prolonging the investigation and manipulating testimonies. He is accused of incurring losses for Songnam uh, while helping private investors reap over 800 billion won or over 630 million US dollars in profits for, uh, from development projects. Uh, prosecutors also suspect that he facilitated the receipt of 42.8 billion won by his aides, including then Chief Policy Advisor Jong Jin-sang, and intervened in drawing election campaign funds in return for business favours. Yes, another lengthy questioning session is expected today, which will likely end late tonight or the early hours of tomorrow morning. In the following days, it is expected that the prosecution will in- decide to indict E, so we will have to watch out for that over the days to come. Mm-hmm. Let's turn now to the ruling People Power Party. The party leadership race has been whittled down to four candidates, Kim Ki-hyun, An Chol-su, Chun Ha-ram and Hwang Yuan. 
So can you tell us more about the announcement? Well, this is according to a primary polling result announced on a Friday by Yu Hung-soo, the head of the election management for the March 8th party convention. It was based on a survey of 6,000 party members conducted on Wednesday and Thursday. Kim is a four-term lawmaker who had previously served as party floor leader, while Ahn who led President Yoon song uh, transition team, is currently serving a third term uh, in the National Assembly. Chun, compared to the veteran candidates, is a relative l- rookie, a lawmaker in his 30s, seeking a generational change within the Conservative Party, while Huang, formerly the Prime Minister during Geun-hye, uh, the Park Geun-hye administration, had served as the leader of the Liberal Career Party, the predecessor to PPP. Let's turn now to some diplomatic tensions. South Korea has announced that it will resume issuing short-term visas for travellers from China on Saturday as arrivals testing positive for COVID-19 from the neighbouring country have dropped to almost zero. China said it is also actively considering removing retaliatory measures. So can you update us on this situation? Well, Kim Song-ho, a senior official at the Central Disaster for Safety Countermeasures headquarters, announced the decision on Friday, saying that the portion of travellers from China testing positive has dropped to the 1% range. Early last month, Seoul imposed tougher entry restrictions on arrivals from China following a resurgence of the pandemic in the country, including a suspension of short-term visa issuance via its diplomatic missions. China balked and responded with similar measures against travellers from South Korea in an apparent retaliatory move. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning told reporters at a regular briefing on Friday that Beijing welcomes South Korea's move. She added that Beijing will consider resuming the issuance of short-term visas for South Koreans in step with Seoul's decision. Let's continue on now to the rescue efforts in the quake-stricken Turkey and Syria The death toll has surpassed 20,000 and it has become the most deadly natural disaster since the Japan earthquake in 2011. And tragically, the numbers are expected to continue to rise. South Korea's disaster response team in Turkey reportedly found five survivors on its first day of operation. Can you give us the details? Well, the foreign ministry said that as of 11.50 a.m. Thursday local time, the response team had uh, rescued a man in his 70s, a man in his 40s and his two-year-old daughter, a 35-year-old woman and a 10-year-old girl in the southeastern Hathe provincial uh, capital of Antakya. Aside from the 35-year-old woman suffering a a fractured finger, all survivors are reportedly doing well. The 118-member response team, Seoul's largest to be dispatched overseas, is is scheduled to continue their efforts through February 17th, by which time the government will decide on whether to send a second team. In other news, South Korea announced its first unilateral sanctions to respond to North Korea's illegal cyber activities on Friday. This comes a day after North Korea held a massive military parade in Pyongyang, showcasing the largest number of ICBMs ever. Can you tell us more? Well, Seoul slapped sanctions on four North Korean individuals and seven institutions that either engaged in such activities, including hacking and uh, stealing virtual assets, or were involved in developing related programs and training related professionals. Among the four individuals is hacker Pak Jin-hyuk, who is also wanted by the FBI. The seven institutions include the Lazarus Group, as well as the Pyongyang Automation University, regarded to be uh, the main pipeline for expert hackers in the region, making its first appearance on any blacklist by any country. This marks the third time uh, that the Yoon Suk-yeol administration has imposed independent sanctions on the North and the first of its kind targeting uh, the North cyber activities. The decision appears to reflect Pyongyang's increasing engagement in such activities to procure funds for its nuclear weapons and missile development programs. 
North Korean leader Kim Jong-un held a photo session with thousands of troops that participated in a massive parade on Wednesday night to mark the 75th anniversary of the Korean People's Army. According to the North state-run Korean Central News Agency on Friday, Kim called for bolstering the country's military power at an unprecedented pace in order to suppress the increasingly brutal imperialist tyranny by force. And finally, a piece of news that has rocked the world of K-pop and entertainment. HYBE, the management agency of global K-pop stars BTS, is set to acquire a 14.8% stake in rival company SM Entertainment to become its largest shareholder. What more do we know? Well, in a regulatory filing on Friday, HYBE announced that it is it has agreed to buy the shares held by SM Entertainment founder Isulman for uh, 422.8 billion won, or around $334.3 million by March 6th. Lee currently holds an 18.46% uh, stake in the company. Uh, HYBE said that the latest deal is part of efforts to merge the two companies uh, global competitiveness and become a game changer in the global pop music market. The company said Pang Shihok, founder and chairman of HYBE, reached an, an agreement with SM founder after lengthy discussions uh, about the future of K-pop industry. Lee's agreement with HYBE is expected to aggravate his ongoing management dispute with other senior executives at SM, evidenced by a statement of opposition to the deal issued later the same day by company's co-CEOs Lee Sung-soo and Tak Yong-jun and others. And earlier this week, the founder sought an injunction against SM's deal with Kakao Corporation that would see a Kakao Talk operator uh, buy a 9.05 5% stake for 217.2 billion won to become its second largest shareholder. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. South Korea is planning to open up the domestic foreign exchange market to overseas institutions from as early as the second half of 2024. The overhaul includes a gradual shift to 24-hour operations as well. This is an effort to attract more investment from overseas, but what ramifications could it have? To talk more about this issue today for Weekly Economy Review, our regular expert guest, economics professor Yang Jun-suk from the Catholic University of Korea, joins us in the studio now. Professor, hello. It's good to have you on, as always. Happy to be here. OK, so today we're just going to be focusing on this one topic today because there's a lot to unpack. So the Bank of Korea and the Ministry of Economy and Finance announced on Tuesday that it would look to open up the foreign exchange market to overseas firms and help do that, its operating hours will be extended. The initial plan is to extend the hours from 9am to 3.30pm to 9am to 2am the next day. That's an increase from six and a half hours of trading to 17 hours. So, Professor, can you give us more details about what was announced and why the change? What's the aim? Okay, well, let's look at what was the problem with the Korean foreign exchange market. It was basically limited. There's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of limitations on uh, the uh, type of people that can uh, participate in the uh, Korean foreign exchange market and the uh, type of goods financial products that can be offered uh, within the uh, foreign exchange market. Mm. Uh, as a result, partially as a result of that, one of the regulations is what you just mentioned. The, uh, the uh, operating hours for Korean foreign exchange market was limited from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Korea time. And what I tell my students, uh, and it's in virtually all international finance textbooks, is that uh, in the uh, foreign exchange market is a 24-hour market. Mm. But then Korea was a big exception. We were only working at even less than 80 hours. Right. Uh, so uh, the uh, as partially as a result of those uh, limitations, Korean foreign exchange market was very, very small. And that's uh, resulted in uh, very volatile 
currency rates. Mm. Uh, so compared to, say, a lot of other countries, Korea's uh, one dollar rate and one every other currency rate fluctuates really a lot. Mm. And that's because whenever there's transactions in the stock market or whenever uh, shipbuilding, which handles a lot of very large funds at once, once those hit uh, the uh, currency market, that has major influence on the uh, prices of those currencies, which is the foreign exchange rate. Right. And also, this may be a bit surprising, but if you look at the uh, currency market, and we're talking about uh, not the uh, currency that you get from your local bank when you go overseas, or when you go on a trip, uh, but uh, wholesale uh, currency, then Korea really only has uh, two currency markets, dollar uh, one and yuan one, Chinese yuan. Yeah, okay. uh, we tried to establish a uh, one Japanese yen market, but there wasn't enough demand. Hmm. Uh, so we really have a very undeveloped foreign, ex uh, foreign exchange market. And uh, 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 some of the problems that comes because of this is, as I mentioned, volatile uh, exchange rates, but also Korea has no offshore foreign exchange market. Mm. Uh, the current regulations forbid uh, somebody from selling and buying Korean won overseas, and even domestically, you have to be registered uh, with the government if you're a foreign firm to participate in the uh, Korean exchange market. And this is one of the reasons why whenever Korea wants to join one of these international bond or stock indices, uh, uh, we don't get accepted. Uh, we don't have a 24-hour currency market. So if, say, a large buyer wants to move in and out of one quickly, they have to wait until the market opens. Okay, uh, so now the government is looking to address the situation then. Right. Uh, so what they're doing is now they can ha uh, have uh, firms which are located overseas can buy and sell foreign exchange if they're registered with the government. So they're calling this registered foreign uh, investors. Uh, and then uh, they can uh, these uh, foreign firms, uh, even if they're not located in Korea, can participate in stock, uh, spot market and fo uh, foreign exchange swaps. Uh, other type of financial goods are to be be added, uh, and all transactions must take place through registered domestic intermediaries, so uh, the uh, Bank of Korea and the government can have uh, estimates of how much transaction is going on. And then uh, once uh, uh, hours of uh, the uh, currency market will be extended, the reason that we're extending it to 2 a.m. is that's when the London market closes, right. and London is still the largest financial center, uh, but there is plans to extend uh, the hours to 24 hours. Uh, and then uh, the uh, government also plans to liberalize overseas and offshore transactions much more than uh, currently. Uh, and in order to reduce the risks from these type of uh, liberalization, uh, the government also plans to increase what's called macroprudential regulations. Mac, uh, those are basically increasing transparency, uh, may, uh, keeping close track of what are Korea's various positions mm. in foreign currency so that if there is a problem, they can respond very quickly. Now, uh, the, uh, I should mention that this is the plan announced by the government. Uh, some of the details have not been worked out, and a lot of times... Uh, the devil's in the details. Right. Uh, so there will be a lot of discussion, a lot of technical details that are going to be added. And it may turn out that some of these uh, measures may not be approved. And some of these, uh, perhaps, the uh, technical details may not be to the liking of either domestic interest groups or foreign interest groups. OK, before we continue talking about these changes, these proposed changes, can we go back a little bit? We said that the uh, South Korea's foreign exchange market has been maintaining its a very closed and restrictive system for more than 20 years now. Why was this closed structure put in place in the first place? Well, it's basically fear of uh, foreign influence and fear of volatility. Mm. Uh, there ha uh, this is not an entirely unfair criticism. Uh, there has been... Uh, if you look at international financial markets, there has been cases where large uh, speculators have 
destabilize the market, and partially because Korea has long uh, history of not having enough dollars. Uh, I think uh, the uh, market as well as the public was very nervous about having large participants coming into the market and having them be relatively unregulated or uncontrolled. One of the problems that we may see is that if the uh, foreign uh, current, uh, exchange market grows, then the government will no longer be the largest player. Hmm. So the uh, government may lose some control over the uh, foreign exchange market, and that may make some people very nervous. After all, we went through the uh, 1997 Asian financial crisis, hmm. and also even con uh, very financially smart countries like United Kingdom, they had a currency crisis because of speculation by large uh, financial uh, players. Uh, so there is some reason to worry, uh, but uh, other countries are doing it. We, it's not that we're liberalizing beyond any other countries. Right. We're catching up and we're still not there. Right. So Korea in the past had tried to protect itself from volatility. But in fact, having this system has led it to be more volatile, especially in recent years, you're saying then. So in theory, it makes sense. It's to open up the market for foreign investors to uh, boost investment and extend the hours so it's easier for them to do so. What concerns are there regarding this change? Okay, well, the biggest concern is, as uh, mentioned before, destabilizing the market. The uh, large uh, international investors or even domestic uh, investors may engage in what's called speculative attacks. That's uh, trying to uh, gain advantage by influencing the market. Uh, now, uh, the thing is, even if we do not open the market, uh, we cannot pr protect ourselves completely from uh, volatility or speculative attacks. Uh, we've seen that in 1997 Asian financial crisis, the, uh, finance, uh, the uh, foreign exchange market was even more tightly controlled back then, but it did not stop the uh, currency crisis. Um, if Korea ever wants to become a financial hub, and we've been uh, sort of hot and cold about that, mm. then we really need to in, uh, in the, uh, develop the uh, foreign exchange market uh, because uh, that's how foreign funds are going to co come in and out of Korea. And the uh, problems with the uh, foreign exchange market, the less developed aspect of it, has always been one of the biggest problems on why Korea cannot become a financial hub. Uh, so uh, perhaps... The uh, government is thinking that pr uh, we should try to become a financial hub again. Right. So, Professor, the devil's in the details, you said. Do you think they will be able to sort out the details and uh, introduce this plan? And also, do you welcome this plan? Uh, I think we're sort of uh, engaged in sort of a risk analysis. So I'm going to hedge a little bit. Mm. Uh, I think... Uh, having a larger market will reduce volatility in the everyday transactions. Mm. As I said, if you look at everyday transactions, everyday changes in rates, Korea's uh, one rate is very volatile. But having a larger market hopefully will reduce that volatility. Uh, but we're changing that with a, ch uh, with a small increase in chance of a big uh, problem. Mm. Uh, and I think the government and Bank of Korea is fairly confident that with the macroprudential regulations, uh, they can pretty much control that risk of a big problem like a, a big destabilization and speculative attacks. Uh, but still, uh, we're changing uh, the uh, everyday high-level volatility with chances of a very small increase in chance of a very big problem. And if the government does able are able to push ahead with this, uh, it'll be quite a big change, right, for the yeah. Korean uh, Korean uh, economy. Uh, potentially, and the reason I say that is that uh, the if we look at foreign exchange markets, 
90% of dealings in the foreign exchange market, if you look at other countries, uh, really deal with trying to make profit through changes in currency rates. And usually that serves to stabilize the uh, currency rates rather than destabilize it. Uh, so that's what we're aiming for. Uh, but if we're looking to uh, bring in, say, more investment, I don't think it will have a direct effect because, as I said, about 90% of uh, the... <laughs> transactions in the currency market is uh, trying to make money through currency uh, uh, exchange rate changes. Uh, but because we ha will have a more stable exchange rate and because we will have the uh, uh, foreign exchange rate market open for longer, um, I think we, it, will may, it may have an indirect effect. We can join the uh, foreign uh, stock indices. Uh, people, uh, foreign investors will feel more confident about exchange risk in Korea. Mm. Uh, so that may induce indirectly more investment. Okay, we'll leave it there. Professor Yang, as ever, thank you for your analysis. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 11.79 points, or 0.48% on Friday, to close the week at 2,469.73. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, shedding 12.14 points, or 1.55%, to close at 772.44. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 4.81 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,265.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have our contributor, Walter Lee, joining us in the studio. Walter, hello, it's good to see you. Hi, Chang-ho, it's always good to see you. Okay, so uh, we're going to head straight into our stories. And unfortunately, we start off with rather a grim story. Can you tell us more? Yeah, it is quite grim. Um, police have caught a man accused of stabbing to death a convenience store owner in Incheon and, the cutting, off his, and cutting off his anklet to avoid authorities. Now, the Incheon Gyeyang police station said on Friday that they apprehended the man on charges of burglary and murder two days after the suspect had fled the scene. The 32-year-old was sleeping at a motel in Butchon, Gyeonggi Province, when the police found him at 6.30 a.m. on Friday. OK, so could you walk us through what happened exactly? Yes, he is accused of stabbing to death the owner of a convenience store, aged 33, at around 10.52 p.m. on Wednesday in the Gyeong district and then getting away after emptying the cash register. He pretended to be a customer before he led the owner into a corner and fatally stabbed him. Now, the store owner was found 50 minutes later by a customer but was already dead. Yes, terribly, sadly so. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the suspect cut off his electronic anklet mm -hmm. as well, so that means he had prior convictions. Yeah, that's correct. The man was ordered to wear an ele electronic anklet for 10 years after serving a seven-year prison sentence for stabbing an owner of a second-hand luxury goods store in Incheon and stealing from him back in 2014. Now, this man was found to have committed serious crimes, including special larceny and special burglary, since 2007 when he was only 16. Now, on Wednesday, the suspect got rid of his anklet near an apartment in the Gyeong district before he fled the neighbourhood in a taxi. Yes, this is once again going to raise questions about the effectiveness of electronic anklets and whether more needs to be done by authorities to oversee ex-convicts. Right. Uh, what are the next steps for the police? Okay, so they plan to request a warrant to detain the suspect after questioning him on his motive and on damaging his anklet. After he went on the run, the Incheon Probation Office released photos of the man to, to the public as part of efforts to gather tips. Well, at least he has been caught now and uh, he will likely face a lengthy sentence indeed if he is uh, convicted, if he is sentenced again. OK, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Yeah, and it's not getting much better here. Uh, police have launched an investigation into a man who is accused of failing to take care of a newborn child. According to the Chongbuk Provincial Police on Thursday, an OBGYN centre in Chongju City reported the man in his 40s to the police last December, saying he had failed to take home a newborn child. 
Now, the man told the police he had made the decision as he is not the child's biological father. According to the man, his wife, who died after giving birth, had the child with another man while they were in the process of getting a divorce. Yes, well, first, it's terribly tragic that the mother died giving birth. That is uh, deeply unfortunate. Meanwhile, if the father of the child is someone else then... Why is this man being investigated by the police? Yeah, it's quite interesting. So primarily because his divorce from his wife wasn't finalised. Now, under the nation's civil law, he is regarded to be the father because even if a married woman comes to have a child with another man, the child would be viewed as the husband's. Mm. So the man said in an online post that he refused to register the birth of the newborn, which is mandatory within a month of the birth, after DNA tests found that he was not the father. He went on to say, that he's already raising three children of his own and now he is being investigated by the police. Well, it's remarkable that he made a post online about this. Yes. But uh, DNA tests then have confirmed that the child is in fact uh, not his. What's to become of the infant then? Chongju City has entrusted the infant to a shelter for care. Police on their part are said to be considering whether to penalise the man for child desertion. Yes, it sounds like there could be quite a legal headache for this situation. But uh, for the child's sake, we hope it gets resolved quickly and that the child gets all the care that he needs, he or she requires. Okay, let's uh, move on to our final story. What else do you have for us today? Yeah, so some lighter news now. So South Korean figure skater Kim Yadim received the highest score in the Women's Single Short Program at the International Skating Union, or ISU, Four Continents Figure Skating Championships. Now, Kim got the highest score out of 23 skaters with 72.84 points at the Broadmoor World Arena in the U.S. state of Colorado on Thursday. Now, with the score, Kim broke her previous record of 72.22 points, which she grabbed at the NHK Trophy last November when she won her first Grand Prix title. Okay, so can you tell us a bit more about this competition first? Because it's an interesting competition. It's an international one, except without European countries, right? Yeah, sure. So the ISU Four Continents Figure Skating Championships is held annually with skaters from Asia, America, Oceania, and Africa. So the ISU created it in 1999 to offer skaters representing non-European countries a similar competition to the much older European Figure Skating Championships. Now, on Thursday, American champion Isabel Bo Levito came in second after Kim with a score of 71.50, while Kim's fellow Korean teammate Kim Taeyeon was third with 70.86. Right, so the competition is about helping nurture talent outside of Europe, which has traditionally dominated uh, the sport. And Korea has benefit, benefited, it looks like. Has a South Korean female skater ever won gold at these championships? Yes, uh, once, and I guess you can guess who it might be. Kim Yona clinched the gold <laughs> in 2009 championships held in Vancouver. Of course. Now, in the 2020 championships held in Seoul, Yu Yong took silver, while Yi Hae-in won silver in last year's competition. Now, Kim Yedim grabbed bronze in the same tournament. The winner of the competition depends on the results of the free skating event scheduled for 10 a.m. Saturday. Now, attention is being drawn to whether South Korea will be grabbing its second gold ever in this event this year. Right, so Kim is only halfway there. Let's hope she can put on a good performance on Saturday. We'll wrap it up there for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter, and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Time now for Movie Spotlight, our weekly look at some of the latest cinematic releases at the Korean box office and online. And we, of course, do that with our panel of trusted critics. First, we have Jason Bashevis back with us again. Hello, Jason. Good to see you. Hi, Jango. How's it going? It's going good. I hope you're doing well as well. And we have Mark Raymond with us this week. Mark, hello. It's good to see you too. Good to see you again. Okay, gentlemen, this week there are not many new releases, presumably because Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania is out next week. Stop rolling your eyes, Chase. <laughs> I know, we were discussing this earlier and, and how it leaves a shortage of releases exactly. in its wake. A lot of studios don't want to try and release their big films uh, next to a Marvel behemoth. So we've got one local independent film this week and a re-release to talk about. 
Let's start with the local indie release first. It's called Next Soi or Palm Soi in Korean, and it's uh, finally getting a release after debuting at the Cannes Film Festival back in May last year. So, Mark, let me start with you. Can you tell us more about this film? Yeah, this is the uh, second film from uh, July Jung. Um, uh, this film did play at Cannes at the International Critics Week, and it also played in um, Busan, which is where Jason and I first saw the film in October. Uh, but it's finally getting kind of a wide release now. Um, her debut film was in 2014, a film called, in the English title was A Girl at My Door. Um, the, the, the Korean title was Dohi Ya. And it was highly acclaimed. It also starred um, Bae Duna, who is also the co-star here, as actually playing a role very similar to the one she played in Broker, which came out last year, mm. uh, Detective. Um, the story follows a high school student, who um, played by Kim Shiyun. And basically, it's about uh, the kind of corrupt labor practices she encounters uh, through an externship program at this kind of shady call center. Mm. And the plot basically involves around her attempts to kind of deal with this situation and as well as the kind of the investigation kind of involved in, into this corruption. Um, I don't want to give too much away in terms of the plot because sure. there are some kind of uh, twists and turns in terms of the structure and the narrative. Um, but it's very much in, a, in the kind of a tradition of what we might call kind of like a social problem film, essentially. Right? Uh, it uses sort of a dramatic form to try to kind of illuminate problems in a society, and um, uh, which was also kind of characteristic of her first film, but I think even stronger kind of here. Okay, so Jason, this is a film that's trying to tackle some important subject matters. Uh, these... These types of movies can sometimes be very powerful, but at the same time, some can also end up being rather heavy-handed in their messaging, shall we say. Where does Next Sohi fall? What do you think of it? I love, I, you know, absolutely love the film. Uh, you know, as Mark uh, said, uh, I saw it in Busan, and uh, it was my favourite film that I saw in Busan. Mm. I think it's... Uh, it's going to be one of the best uh, Korean films of 2023. Uh, looking at the, you know, when looking at the releases of this year. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly is a powerful film. It's dealing with some pretty, you know, heavy stuff: uh, death and uh, suicide, and uh, issues facing young people, and uh, particularly in the kind of working environment, a very intense and. Uh, certainly, f for female workers, a very, very challenging environment, given you know the patriarchy and so on and so forth. Um, I think it's really well structured. I, I, I'm trying not to give too much away, but it, you kind of see it from different perspectives, and uh, it's just so wonderfully performed, uh, so well written, um, and it hit me pretty hard. Uh, it's not to say that it's you know, I guess it is a gloomy film, but but at the same time, it's not a film that. I would say is heavy-handed at all. Mm. Um, it, it does leave an impression, a very uh, lasting impression. Uh, and it's a film I would like to revisit. July Jung, you know, she's clearly a very talented filmmaker. Uh, a Gill at My Door was actually produced by um, Yi Chang-dong. So, you know, that was a, an extraordinary film as well. But with Yi Chang-dong involved, you, you're never quite, really quite sure how much of, a, you know, an impact he had on, you know, the script mm. and, and the direction. Whereas he was not involved in this film, uh, certainly in the same way. So um, I think, you know, th this really did, for me, confirm... Her, her talent behind that camera and also uh, in terms of writing uh, scripts as as well. Uh, lots to like about this film and, uh, yeah, I would highly recommend it. Mark, Jason called it one of the best films of 2023. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if this isn't one of the best Korean films of the year. It would be a really good year in Korean movies if it isn't mm. <laughs> for five, for there be a number of films better than this one. Um, and, yeah, like I kind of agree with what Jason is saying it's a powerful film i don't think uh me and it is certainly dark but it's not a film that uh it's also a film i found very riveting to watch sure right like it is not it is not a boring kind of slog of a film at all it's like mm. it very does it does kind of you know connect you to these characters sure. very strongly and to the story and really wants to uh it reminded me a lot of, of the best kind of you know european kind of art cinema in this way of these kind of social realist dramas but yet are 
you know, very strong on characterization, very strong on um, uh, story. And uh, in the purpose of is to kind of engage you so that you can, uh, you know, feel something about these situations and hopefully maybe bring about some kind of change or at least some kind of catharsis for these right. for the viewers so i hope it does catch on with younger viewers in korea mm. i think it could i mean it's really hard with the situation now i think if it was five years ago pre-pandemic i would have said this has a really good chance of being this kind of you know one of the better grossing indie movies of the year. Right. I don't know anymore, but uh, right. the situation so unstable. Mm. But I think it could get an audience if it gets kind of the word of mouth it kind of needs. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, Mark mm -hmm. touched on this in that, you know, the film is really gripping. So it's kind yeah. of like a pop procedural. It's not really, a th it's not a thriller, but it has certain elements of it that feel mm -hmm. like that. And I think that really makes it somewhat more accessible because you know when it comes to kind of social dramas in Korea you know in the independent sector some of them are really grueling uh, and, and you know they're difficult to watch and they're dark <laughs> the pacing can be quite you know it demands a lot of patience is what I'm saying on part of the viewer whereas this film it is part kind of you know very much you know a film dealing with difficult issues it's a drama but there, there are also aspects to it that are you know generally gripping right. and uh, i think that in a sense could make it uh, more accessible uh i wonder whether it might put off some viewers but certainly for me i think that worked in its favor okay so that was next sweet two thumbs up emphatic thumbs up i would say yeah. from both our critics and it's out now in korean cinemas our next film is perhaps somewhat of an unexpected one it's a re-release of a hollywood smash hit James Cameron's Titanic is back in cinemas <laughs> here in Korea. Uh, I'm not sure this film needs much of an introduction, but Jason, can you set this one up for us? Yeah, I never thought I'd be talking about Titanic on the show, <laughs> but here we are. Um, so, yeah, this comes uh, a few weeks after Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water. You know, this was a film that uh, sold over 10 million tickets in Korea. It's in terms of box office revenue generated over $2 billion. You know, critics and journalists seem to have a habit of underestimating James Cameron. Uh, a lot of doubters out there when, when <laughs> Avatar came out. There's a lot of doubters out there when Titanic came out, actually. Mm. And yet, he, you know, he always, he always proves his critics wrong. Um, and so, yeah, this movie back in 97, a very expensive, audacious film. You know, few understood, you know, when the film was released on its opening weekend of the significance of it, uh, the reports of production issues... Uh, of course, the film is about, you know, this fateful voyage of uh, Titanic in 1912. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it became the most successful film ever, uh, selling over $2 billion, well, yeah, generating, what, $2 billion at the box office, and 11 Oscars as well. And uh, <laughs> you know, Cameron is someone who I think understood the potential of this film. Um, and uh, the story, of course, yeah, you know, it's famous. I, it doesn't really need an introduction, does it really? I mean, Kate was the stars in a, alongside Leonardo DiCaprio and they, they play this, you know, this couple from di different social classes, you know, they, they get on, you know, they, they embark on this voyage and uh, they fall in love and, uh, the, the, you know, the we all know the sink ship, uh, <laughs> sorry, the ship sinks and uh, yeah, uh, Cameron of course loves the water, we see that in Avatar, uh, The sure. Abyss and here as well. It's, uh, yeah, has become basically a Hollywood classic now, mm. right, Mark? Uh, so am I right in thinking that you hadn't actually seen this film before uh, this week? I haven't. No, I've, of course, I know of it and I've seen many scenes of the film on sure. TV or in clips or whatever, but I never actually sat down and watched the entire three hour, 15 minute extravaganza before that is, yesterday. That is I went, pretty and I went remarkable. To, and I went to see it in 3D, uh, which it gets, re it got kind of, uh, uh, Cameron remastered it for 3D, mm. I believe, about 10 years ago. And now, well, it was 2012, the, yeah, the right, kind yeah. of uh, yeah, marking so 100, 100 years since years the ago, yeah. sinking. Yeah. Okay, so you came to this film completely fresh. Mm -hmm. How was it? What do you think of it? Yeah, it's kind of like two movies, isn't it? It's like it's the love story, which is about the first 90 minutes, and then it's the sinking of the, the disaster movie, which is the last 90 minutes, and it's almost like directly in, in half the, mm. the structure. And of course, some aspects bleed over into both ones. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the script isn't very good, uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's not why you're going to see this movie. Uh, the spe spe he does spectacle very well. It mm. always has action and spectacle. 
And he really, I think, is helped out by DiCaprio and Winslet, who are very young at this time and not really, you know, DiCaprio had become something of a star with Romeo and Juliet before this, but they were not the stars they would become. Mm. And their charisma really goes a long way to kind of carrying the kind of, especially the first half of the film. And and so that stuff works better than it probably should. And then when we get to the the uh, the disaster stuff, it's quite compelling. I did find... Uh, Unusually for Cameron, like maybe a little bit, uh, the pacing does lag a bit in the mm. very last. I think he probably could have tightened that. That section could have been tightened a bit. But yeah, it's a pretty good entertainment. I can see why, you know, obviously why it was so successful. And um, and the 3D was not really necessary, but it wasn't too distracting, I found. Like he, because Cameron is quite, you know, good at 3D. As 3D, right. 3D is in my favorite format generally. Mm. But it wasn't, uh, there was some scenes where I thought the 3D, you know, added some stuff. Others were, I could have done without it. But yeah, <laughs> ov- overall, uh, yeah, I didn't have a bad time at the movies. You know, it's very much what a James Cameron avatar style spectacle kind of is, but with this real life historical event. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm glad after all this time, you did have a good time in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, you have seen it before yeah, uh, we watched it again for, for us time. this week yeah what was it like for you revisiting it yeah what i do for my job um <laughs> yeah no uh, certainly uh mark's uh mentioned this is uh, the spectacle uh cameroon is in a league of his own um when it comes to being able to kind of put together these you know very difficult set pieces and, you know, today when we watch a, a Marvel film, or not just a Marvel film, a lot of kind of Hollywood blockbuster fare, it's just everything is like green screen and it just doesn't look authentic. It just looks, we're in a, it just looks like you're in a video game. Mm. Whereas here, actually, for most of it, it, it looks... I mean, it's not CGI. Uh, it, it, there's obviously a lot of CGI on the credits, but actually, it's 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 on a boat it's, that that they made, and uh, it looks real. It looks the spectacle is actually, even by today's standards, pretty incredible. Uh, certainly, towards the kind of latter end of the film, where it is more heavy, more reliant on CGI, CGI where it's you know it's not so good. Um, and yeah, Mark said you know in terms of the script. It's not great, but Cameron is someone who understands what his audience wants. You know, he's not out there to please the critics, and so it's it's a, it's a love story from two you know from two different social classes. You you have that kind of conflict going on, uh, and he's able to kind of pull you in with these characters that are really at, well acted. You know, by by Leo Leonardo mm. DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, and yeah, it's got all the ingredients for a, a great blockbuster. It's not the best film out there, but I you know going back to it, actually, I kind of enjoyed it, um, and I realized actually the film is literally three hours long um, <laughs> because what well, the credits go up on the three hour mark. Right. <laughs> yeah, so right, it okay. literally is 90 minutes and 90 minutes, you know, the build up and then, and then the actual sinking itself. So um, yeah, it's a film actually I quite enjoy going back to and, and I literally watched it in two parts. <laughs> I actually think when I first saw it in the cinema initially, I think there was an intermission back then for the my screening back in London. Oh, really? Well, yeah. there was when I watched in the cinema. There wasn't. A, uh, there was no intermission. But uh, sure. due to my, you know, my son, who I, think who that I needed to tell you something about around. my age, though. Uh, I think yeah, that says yeah. something about how how long ago it was. Okay, yeah. but you can but, watch it in two parts. Sure. For sure. And I, I do know people back when it came out who went to see it only after the first ninety minutes. They literally just want to see the <laughs> the spectacle of the ending and just kind of sure. came late an hour and a half in. Yeah. Sure. Well it's interesting that it's getting a re release here anyway. Actually, briefly, let's just ask the final question. What's it say about the film industry in Korea at the moment that it, it is being re released here at the moment? Well, actually, in Korea, there's been uh, loads of re-releases, actually. Uh, Love Actually is released like every other year. It's a perennial kind of Christmas classic. I think it holds a record in Korea, uh, six re-releases. Um, and then you've got, you know, the Nolan films, you know, Christopher Nolan, whose films, you know, need to be seen on the big screen. Dark Knight was re-released three times. Um now, with Titanic, obviously it comes after, you know, Avatar, The Way of Water, and I think people want to go and see it on the big screen. Uh, but I think it does say something in that we're talking about it here because there are no other films to talk about. Mm. So it is a bit concerning that there aren't as many releases as certainly as I would like. Um, and, uh, but that's partly because of, you know, a certain Marvel film that's released next week. 
I have a feeling they just wanted to keep using their 3D glasses that they brought out for Avatar 2 as well. Well, well yeah, there's that, but also it just doesn't cost any money. Sure. Right? So they, they don't really have to market the film. Mm. Uh, and in terms of, you know, it's a, you know, it's a 20th Century Fox or Disney film, so it's, 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 you know, it's easy to make money. Yeah. Okay, we'll call it a day there. Jason, Mark, thank you for your thoughtful reviews as always. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you. We've come to our final segment now, next week from Seoul, where we close out the week by previewing what's happening next week. And to help us do that is our staff editor, Richard Larkin, who has joined us now in the studio. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. OK, so what's the first thing we should look out for next week? South Korea, the United States and Japan are set to hold a vice ministerial meeting in Washington on Monday. According to the foreign ministry on Wednesday, first vice foreign minister, Jo Hyun-dong, We'll meet with U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman and their Japanese counterpart Takeo Mori for a trilateral meeting. The three nations will discuss joint cooperation on North Korean nuclear weapons, as well as regional and global issues. Vice Minister Joe will also hold a separate bilateral meeting with Mori to discuss the issue of compensation for victims of Japan's wartime forced labour. Okay, so some important diplomatic meetings to check on the trilateral and bilateral relationships. Okay, moving on, what's the next thing we should look out for next week? South Korea's Foreign Minister Park Jin will be heading abroad next week to attend some important international events. First, Park will head to the Netherlands for an international summit on responsible AI in the military domain on Wednesday and Thursday. The summit, which will be held in The Hague, was created by the Dutch government to raise awareness of the impact of the military's use of artificial intelligence on the international community. High-ranking government officials from the Netherlands the United States, Japan and Switzerland will also attend. Then Park will head to Germany from Friday to Sunday to participate in the annual Munich Security Conference. We'll have more details about that event next week. OK, so both the foreign minister and vice foreign ministers away on overseas trips next week. OK, let's look at one more. What is the last thing we should keep an eye out for next week? The 2023 UN Youth Environment Assembly will be held in Suwon City, Gyeonggi Province from Tuesday to Thursday. 300 middle school, high school and university students from 12 countries, including Korea, Canada and the United States and Peru, will participate in this General Assembly under the theme Climate Crisis in Cities. The event looks to find solutions to overcome the global environmental crisis from the youth's perspective. There will also be speeches from big figures such as Ban Ki-moon, the 8th Secretary General of the United Nations, Prime Minister Han Tuk Su and British Ambassador to Korea Colin Crooks. Okay, so quite an array of uh, senior officials and ambassadors at this event with uh, potential future leaders from around the world then. Okay, that's all for next week from Seoul. Richard, thank you for that roundup. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Thank you. And that's all for our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back on Monday to bring you the latest news updates, interviews and analysis from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a wonderful weekend. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. Thank mm-hmm. you.